Hello and welcome to Tetra Podcasts. I'm John and here's Darren. This came on while, you know, I've just come back from Wales. This came on when I was in Wales and oh my God, I had one of the worst days of my life. Nearly really? died. Yeah. What was it? Like, was it, It's. do you think it's the flu thing I had? No, it's some like inner ear infection that I, oh, I had shit. back in, uh, uh, exactly the same thing I had in, in uh, January. And it, it means I have like a, an, um, an, 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 First of all, I find it really hard to concentrate. I find it impossible to do anything. And I get this massive buildup of pressure in the middle ear on the inside of the eardrum, causes lots of pain on the eardrum. Wow. And it's just, it's just horrible. And of course, I haven't been able to get to the doctors. I went to the drop in center today, and the nurse there basically told me to drink lots of water and just hope for the best. <laughs> <laughs> <Just> useless. <laughs> so, yeah. Drink lots of water. Yeah. yeah yeah try to and, eat too you know if you can fit that in try and mm, eat something mm, you know that's yeah. always good. i don't want to eat it there i don't eat much at the moment yeah okay. oh well you should you should um yeah okay so let's uh try and start this podcast thing then <clears throat> um so romania yeah been romania. in romania yeah uh, again had you didn't a, remain in romania uh r- roamed around a lot <laughs> uh, had a brilliant time um yeah, it was a very different experience being there in the the depths of winter. Well, not the depths of winter. It wasn't the depths of winter at all. But it was it was only about freezing. It wasn't like minus thirty or anything. But it was um, the shallows of winter. Yeah, it was. We had snow and stuff. But um, previously, I was there in the summer, so very different experience. Very different wildlife. No frogs and lizards around this time, obviously. But um, yeah, in terms of finding fossils, we we go to various key sites that have yielded uh, significant things and uh, we found significant things we found two things well we found we found three things that are a big deal and two of those we're calling 100 year fossils as in like they're the kind of stuff that you only find <laughs> 100 years and um they are both completely fortuitous discoveries and they were like oh my god you know somebody finds like a little patch of something a lot of the a lot of the fossil finding in the, the part of romania the sebesh basin that we go to a lot of it is actually done in um, while wading in shallow rivers, looking at exposed rock on the, the river floor, the riverbed, and um, you see like a little patch of something, and that in in, in these both of these cases turned out to be the better part of two different significant things. So, and, uh, so just I I know you won't like the statistics of this, but hundred year fossils is that like of everyone looking for fossils or you Darren Nash looking for fossils? In terms of no, seriously, in terms of what's been recovered from Romania throughout the whole of history, that kind of thing, it's like these uh, particular fossils are by far the best examples of their kind found in like a hundred years. So, um, okay, what what are some other famous Romanian finds then? Well, Romania's got ton, tons of stuff. It's got like all of the, the um, you know, that during the Cretaceous it was this island, the, the, the size of the island is controversial. Um, 
We spoke about this last time because we were talking about Hatsugopteryx, weren't we? The giant pterosaur. Yes. Uh, so yes, you mentioned Scotland. another island that no one knows the size of in comparison to compare it to this <laughs> unknown <laughs> island in in, uh, in Romania. I yes. Yeah, I think you mentioned like some rather obscure um, Arctic island or something like this. Ellesmere, Ellesmere Island. I, I yeah, used no Ells, Ellesmere Island as a no comparison. No one knows how big that is. Everyone, it's a giant <laughs> thing. How can you look, you look at a map and not spot Ellesmere Island? It's huge. It's, uh, you know, it's north of Nova Scotia. And look, there's a lot of crap up there in the top part of Canada. <laughs> no one knows the name to, name of all that Anyway, stuff. during yes. the late Cretaceous, um, Romania was this large island, this distinctive fauna of peculiar island endemic, seemingly island endemic dinosaurs, which include dwarf titanosaurs, Magyarosaurus, the peculiar reddick late surviving Hadrosaur, Telmatosaurus, the peculiar a group of, of um, archaic ornithopods called rhabdodontids. Um, oh, yeah, I like them. They're little fatties, aren't they? They're, well, they're, they're peculiar body shape, little fatties, <laughs> I suppose. Uh, they ate um, all the pies, you just know it. John, John brings in the science. Um, <laughs> the recently discovered controversial Manoraptoran theropod, Balor Bondok, where we um, we actually go to the discovery site of that animal in the hope to discover more. We spent some time with the holotype because... We got something going on with 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 Balor that I'll discuss in time, and obviously there are there are no big theropods in this. This is the latest Cretaceous assemblage, late Campanian uh, into early and mid Maastrichtian times. Um, there are no big theropods in the assemblage. The largest theropods are Balor, and then there are these giant pterosaurs, Hatsugopteryx, and there's also this smaller pterosaur and another as darker pterosaur that myself and colleagues published. Earlier this year, Eurus darko langendorfensis. So they all come from the fauna, and then you've also got stuff. You've got like um, uh, multitubercular mammals and uh, various fossil crocodilians, and a, a nice assemblage of both pleurodon and cryptodon turtles, and some weird stem turtles as well. In particular, the famous Calocobotian bayazidae, everyone's favourite fossil turtle. Um, the, uh, well, you know, I know why. it's my favourite. Yeah, and you know why? No. You know Baron's Franz Nopsja? Yes, I do. Yeah, this is the turtle that he famously named after his uh, secretary and lover, who he later murdered, and he named this turtle after him. Um, Calicobotian Bayezid, I named after this, this man, Bayezid. Was Nopsja Romanian or Hungarian? Oh, oh dear. Let's cut that out, it. since neither of us know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll just go quiet and edit that out, yeah. Yeah. Um, right, so I probably shouldn't have got you. I, I was looking for highlights, and I, I suppose that is the highlights. That's not just Those a list of everything found that we might be interested no, in. There's tons of stuff, but unfortunately, that it's, I, it's it would not be appropriate for me to scoop the significance because we aim to get like high profile papers out of these specimens. And um, yeah, well, we look forward to seeing that in five or six years <laughs> at least. <laughs> We should move on to some follow-up for the uh, Bigfoot episode, the epic marathon big, Bigfoot yeah. episode, yeah. where we actually only sort of scrape, scrape the surface of what's going on with Bigfoot. I think we picked out the best things, but we still didn't talk about anything like what everything we could have talked about. Um, but yeah, let's, let's talk about now some follow-up. What you got? Well, we'll, we'll follow-up. I mean, to, to start with, I think we should say that um, I, I'm really 
you know, encouraged and happy by the feedback that we got. I, I feel everything was kind of positive and there was very little hating and negativity, which I kind of expected. Normally you get a lot of kind of knee jerk reaction to don't y'all slag off Bigfoot, you hear? <laughs> well, I think the problem is that we just don't have enough lifters, right? Well, Sharon Hill's article on I Doubt It. Is that the name of us? Doubtful News. Doubtful News, yeah. I'll put it, I'll put it in the... Um, yeah, it's on yeah, I Doubt yeah, It. I'll put it in the show notes. Great, great coverage. Really appreciated that. And, uh, and yeah, I think all the other feedback we got was Matt Crowley was on Twitter talking about so saying thanks for mentioning his research. Um, yeah, no, I expected, I don't want to mention any names, but, you know, there's, there's a few characters in the Bigfoot community, the cryptozoological community, who normally kind of leap to the defense of this kind of stuff. We, yeah, we didn't get a lot of that, which um, mm. I'm thinking... Um, might have possibly come from the fact that we sounded quite enthusiastic for Bigfoot. It yeah. was very difficult to take us as knee-jerk skeptics. Or I agree. Um, well, I think that's the key thing. And I think what we both said in that episode is that um, you need to, I think, I think you agree with this, you need to come to this and just assume you don't know the answer and where does the evidence take us. Um, I, I wanted to mention, I mentioned... Um, Don Prothero and Daniel Loxton's book. Um, that's, I think, I think that's all I said. I said Prothero and Loxton's book. Well, it, I know, I now know that it's called Abominable Science, and it's um, a critical um, review of uh, cryptozoology, and it'll be published by Columbia University Press this summer. Is it available and, to pre-order? Uh, I don't know the answer to that. If it is, I'll put it in the show notes as well. Yeah, um, yeah, we refer to that in passing, so I wanted to give them a, a plug. Um, I've kind of been a sort of reviewer for the books. So I've already, I've already read it, and I really like it. I mean, I, I think what they do is totally appropriate, and it's a a, a skeptical, a skeptical take on on cryptozoology. I mean, everything you know, it needs to be. A, I don't know where I'm going with this, so I'll stop there. Sorry, I'm just waffling. <laughs> Can we edit that bit out? I'm going to edit so thought. much of this stuff out. Sorry, um, sorry. I've got to say, I'm, I'm, it's a real struggle for me to concentrate at the moment. Yeah, we're doing well because I'm, I'm actually finding it a bit tricky myself. Right. <laughs> Drink more brandy. Yeah, I'm drinking. I'm drinking as fast as I can. Um, <laughs> yeah, we did get a little bit on I Doubt It. Um, there was a bit of discussion which I jumped into. It's just someone saying that, you know, um, these sounds can't be made by humans, but I think I made yeah. the point in the original podcast that that's just not, that's just silly because <clears throat> one, we don't have a recording of every human noise that's possible. And two, there's many other ways you can make noises in the woods. Um, <laughs> I pointed out that playing noises over a car stereo um, or using an instrument like a, a hailer or some other thing to augment your voice could change things. I mean, there's lots of ways you can change the yeah the, the qualities of your voice. I'm I'm not impressed by uh, Sasquatch vocal alleged Sasquatch vocalizations, partly because they're so incredible. Well, one reason the main the main reason is that they're so incredibly diverse. If people had re if people had independently recorded the same vocalization 
from numerous different sites, you know, unconnected sites across North America, and they all sounded like they were made by the same animal, then there may be something there, but they're all really, really different. So there are howls, there are screams, there are um, chat, chattering, kind of guttural, um, oh, what a piece, samurai, samurai, this thing people call samurai talking, which, which is where they just, chop. <laughs> and the, the other stuff that I imitated last time, I won't do that again. But um, yeah, they're, they're too late. You already did that. <laughs> um, yeah, they 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 sound really really diverse, and you you can find you can find a lot of them uh, a lot of them online. For some strange reason we were listening to them in Romania, coincidentally. Well, they're creepy um, as hell, aren't they? They're like yeah, a lot of them are yeah. creepy, creepy sounds. They are creepy. Yeah, which. Hmm kind of suggests that there are people going out making the creepiest noise they possibly can. Um, we got to have some better Bigfoot follow-up than that. Just a bunch of people agreed with us? Come on. One person disagreed, okay, but people, they're an idiot. <laughs> some people came around my house with pitchforks and torches. And, oh, uh, I was expecting the men in black. Men in you black. know, they're, they're trying to keep the, the psychic Bigfoot down, man. I think that that's something that people don't get today, the men in black thing. When you say men in black, people think Will Smith and uh, Tommy Lee Jones and the, that movie franchise. They don't yeah. know that the whole reason that men in black mythology exists is because of this earlier men in black phenomenon that was supposedly linked with the world of UFOs. You know, you know what the original men in black were. Yeah, but I think that's where the movie comes from, right? That, yeah, 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 that, that, yeah. So it's the you same. Know, it's all part of the same. Yeah, same but I, I don't think people. I don't think people today know that they don't know that that originally they were. You know, the Men in Black weren't meant to be some covert government um, branch. They were meant to be. In fact, if you read books on flying saucers and stuff and conspiracy theories, they they talk about how the the Men in Black, these sinister characters who come around and intimidate UFO witnesses they they themselves the men in black aren't right they're not normal people there's there's the possibility that they themselves are aliens or even or even robots <laughs> androids there's for example there's a there's one story where um uh, a male and female um i, I, I hope i'm getting this right oh, why am i have I gone down this strange alley I, I may as well finish this story right it's a good okay. alley i like it my my recollection is that there's a a male and female person in black and they come around and they're and they're telling this ufo witness that he's not gonna let's get this straight buddy you're not gonna tell anyone about that source that you saw on highway 64 or whatever and during the conversation, the male person in black, uh, I'll put it as politely as possible, physically manipulates the female one and, and asks for advice as he's doing it. <laughs> Am I doing this right? <laughs> and uh, and the, <clears throat> the human individual who reported this, um, you know, described it as clearly abnormal behavior and then it kind of like really stuck in his <laughs> mind that these weren't behaving like normal people this is a clear sign that that they were they weren't real people they were like yeah, yeah. that's a stupid so, story yeah. ever so there's, this, there's this whole mythology of the men in black and the, the the men in black movies obviously comes from it you know that i know that but i don't think a lot of people i think especially a lot of younger people don't know that oh young um, people today darren 
So uh, young people today and what, what they don't know about men in men in black. And their Facebooks and their Twitters. <laughs> podcasts. <laughs> Stupid podcasts. All right. Um, back to Draco. Back to Draco. So earlier this year, I published a new as Dark Kid. Yeah, my my second new terrorist of the year. First of many, the second of many, he says cryptically. Um, yeah, very cryptic. The, the new Romanian as Darkid, uh, Euras Darko, was published earlier this year by myself and Matthias Ramirez and Gareth Dyke and Alex Kellner and others. And uh, a few weeks ago, I, together with Martin Simpson, paleontologist based in the Isle of Wight, and Gareth Dyke at the University of Southampton, as I am, uh, we published Vecti Draco Daisy Morrissey. Um, and uh, also published in PLOS One, so 100% open access to everyone. Uh, this is a small pterosaur represented only by a near-complete pelvis and associated vertebrae, and the pelvis itself is just four centimetres long, so it's a small animal, wingspan of around about a metre, or slightly less or slightly more, and it's not an Asdarkid, but it's an Asdarkoid, a member of this like, more inclusive group that includes the famous... The name everyone will know, the Tapajarids, these relatively short-skulled, possibly omnivorous or fruit-eating. Um, frugivorous. Uh, possibly frugivorous, yeah. And, of course, the whole story, that the, the media have just been... What's the, what's the polite term? They've been falling over themselves to uh, cover this story um, because they love the fact that Vector Draco was discovered by... A girl who was, she's now nine, Daisy Morris, but she was four when she found this thing. She is from the Isle of Wight, which is where the fossil's from, and she found it, um, yeah, there, while on a little seaside excursion. And so um, I considered it appropriate to name it in her honour. I mean, not many four-year-olds discovered new species of terror, <laughs> so I thought that was pretty cool. Um, so, yeah, that's been in, like, every single certainly all the British newspapers, and I think quite a few international ones as well. It's been a lot of online coverage, and it's been on TV a lot. It's been on all the local news here, and um, BBC One's The One Show, which is like a, a thing that's watched by, I don't know how many millions of people, a big audience, um, she was on that. So what you're saying here, Darren, is that a nine-year-old girl is stealing all your thunder. <laughs> she just tripped over it on a beach. You had to spend five years, apparently, <laughs> describing it. That's right. I'm very slow and very lazy. And um, well, we all know that you're not very productive. Did you see the um, the, the the new scientist quote about the no feathers in Jurassic Park four? Yes, I did. Now, what oh, did okay, you say? The... Yeah, you said swore. You did, didn't you? Yeah, it's not a very yeah. rude word pissed off i said i'm pissed off and, uh, and that was just that was in an email that was in an informal email so i thought well it doesn't matter what i say in an informal email but to my, to my surprise <laughs> slash light they um yeah they they quoted that in full yeah because apparently yeah. they decided that if they have those scaly dromaeosauri things in jurassic park they, they won't have them feathered i wrote a blog post about this did you Oh, I don't follow your stuff, I wouldn't know. No, I know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you look at the pictures sometimes. Yeah, um, you're at the today, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't care. 
I think that Jurassic Park was sunk after about halfway through the first one. I I despise the second one with a vengeance, and the third one is just exponentially worse. So yes. um, I doubt that it can get better. I mean, I don't really think of um, Jurassic Park as being a science-based or science-inspired even mm. anymore. Yeah. Whereas clearly the yeah. first one was, but the second, third ones definitely weren't. So, you know, why expect anything from a fourth? Also, old media's dead, man. Yeah. Yeah, movies are dead. It's all about podcasting now. <laughs> Movies are dead. Yeah, nobody watches movies anymore. There's no money in movies, right? It's all in podcasts. This blog, po- this blog post that you didn't read, and it's about awesome bro culture, which I made up. It's a new word. Um, and it's about how whenever dinosaurs are mentioned, the way to get them into pop culture is to make them awesome, man. You know, kind of like freaking lasers on sharks you know mm-hmm. and that's the way dinosaurs are sold in the mainstream media all the time but it's not just dinosaurs that are sort of embedded in this culture it's sort of huge it it's, it brings in lots and lots of stuff and turns it into awesome i mean i don't know whether you read cracked um, uh some i, I have read stuff yeah. on cracked a lot of their articles are a bit like this you know Mm. awesome moments from history and this sort of stuff mm. and it's not entirely bad i like a lot of it but it's sort of become the only way you can look at dinosaurs in the mainstream culture yeah and i think jurassic park has become just entire has always been mostly about this but especially the last two um and i'm i was saying that i just don't think that really big budget stuff is going to do anything else it's always going to be about this awesome bro stuff and my point in the blog post was that our instinctive way to defend against this is to say well you know feathered dinosaurs can be awesome you know eagles and they're they're really um they're pretty frightening but that's not really doing justice to anything i mean for all we know Velociraptor could be one of the goofiest looking animals ever. Could have been all like pretty and stuff. Mm. You know, not not awesome in that way at all. And I think that we run the risk of being sucked into this sort of thing of saying to the Jurassic makers of Jurassic Park, yeah, but you know, feathered dinosaurs can still be really scary and all that. And I think that's feeding the same monster that we've we've been feeding for years, and maybe we should just stop feeding it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that is a that is a, an angle that I have heard quite a few times. People saying that since when, since when putting feathers on a dinosaur make it any less scary or or awesome? Yeah, this this specifically this has been. There was a, an IO9 article that, that was about that, and I've heard other people say the same thing. But um, but I guess what I'm saying is that that's no good. I mean, mm, we should be trying to get at the truth here, not. The most awesome yeah and it's it's kind of a waste of time uh, you know having this argument or or discussing this because our interests in terms of like the portrayal of animal behavior and appearance and such is inconsistent with what you know is discordant with what movie makers want they Indeed. want they want giant robot aliens and 
and King Kong scenes from King Kong. Whereas if you talk to um, those of us who are interested in the portrayal of extinct animals as animals, you want to see them as animals. I want to see, you know, Velociraptor doing Velociraptor stuff in a Velociraptor environment. And, um, and that is just not, you, you don't want, you know, nobody's going to turn a nature documentary into like a big budget Hollywood movie. Um, so yeah, I, I I pretty much agree with with everything you've said, but uh, I don't really know what to what to do about it. I, I still think well, you could do. I I still think you could do a seriously good like science based movie that's about that's about sciencey people trying to going out and observing stuff and and inadvertently um, or deliberately interacting with it. Um, that you know, there's loads of fascinating stories from the world of like zoological exploration where people you know end up getting killed by things accidentally or uh, cool stories about how they've captured things or oh yeah i think i think it definitely could be made i mean i i would just like to see a time travel story you know a bunch of people get dumped in the cretaceous what what do they do what happens yeah I mean, that'd be great the thing is i mean even if a good dinosaur film was made it wouldn't have the same impact as the first jurassic park the first Jurassic Park, that first scene where you see the Brachiosaurus, is the first With time. Fat tree trunk like legs. Fat tree trunk legs and all. Um, is the first time you see something that could be a real live dinosaur. It was the first time anyone had seen a, an utterly convincing real live dinosaur. Yeah. And when I was in the theatre, that was just, oh my God. Well, yeah. That's... And I think that's true for a lot of people. You know, yeah. Well, probably everyone who saw it first time it was amazing yeah so it was a sort of this confluence of being able to do it with a cg finally um and then doing it um and i just don't think any newer film could have that impact true we've all become so used to seeing that kind of stuff now jd yeah um but that is an epic scene yeah everybody says the same thing it's so memorable uh, mm. it, the, the reason that it does have tree trunk like legs, you, you know, originally the idea was that they drive past its legs thinking that they are tree trunks. Did yeah, we that's... talk about this in the last podcast? Uh, I think we ooh, did. Sorry. I do tend to repeat myself. I do tend to repeat myself. I always wanted to do an article on the many continuity errors in Jurassic Park. I like the fact that if you know enough about kind of like the lore and the um, the history of kind of uh, you know, scientific reconstructions and things that are in the literature, you can identify like every single, and obviously you have to have read Crichton's book, Jurassic Park, you can identify every single idea and um, every single like way a thing is meant to look and every single bit of behavior based on what other people have said in the literature. You can always tell that Spielberg was inspired by this or Crichton was inspired by that. And when you can't, when there are things that are just so stupid that they they aren't based on any reality, it's like that's clearly the bit they made up. So the dilophosaurs, the these miniature dilophosaurs, totally you know in, inaccurate. Well, every, everything about them, unlike the real animal, small and weirdly shaped skulls, and the spitting venom thing obviously is inspired by. Um, Samuel Wells's comment that the weak snout bones of this animal mean that it was probably a scavenger or that it, its jaw bones were too weak to enable it to like kill things just with jaw and tooth power so it had to have some like auxiliary mechanism for taking down prey so that's kind of like the inspiration for the venom idea but then the yeah. 
the, the spitting thing and the f- neck frill stuff, you know, that's just crap they made up. They made up for the film. But I, I, my point is that for every one of those things, you can normally trace like, oh, like but, where but, they... but, Yeah, okay. But things like the neck frill thing, I mean, some dinosaurs are going to surprise us like that, aren't they? It's kind of sort of the point of old yesterdays. Yeah, yeah. Um, I kind of think that with something like that, you sort of should expect there to be some because that's such that is such. I mean, there's a difference between like soft tissue crests and frills and wattles on your face, which I think are there's a lot of um, leeway in terms of like how we whether we choose to imagine those things and something as profound as a as a giant necrill because what has a giant necrill today well you know the answer clamidosaurus kingy the frill neck lizard that's the only thing that has it so it's transparently obvious that you know they looked at that animal and they took it from that and that animal has like loads of weird bony features it has a particularly long neck compared to all other related um the gamut lizards um that and, and, and like weird hyoid bones and stuff. It's got a bunch of osteological correlates, distinctive bony features that are like that are linked to the presence of that of that neck frill. So um, I think that was a really stupid, stupid idea that they just shouldn't have shouldn't have gone with at all. Because as soon as you go with something that's so transparently similar to a living animal, it's I think it's just lazy. It's just obvious that you just looked at frill neck lizard and and you did nothing more than copy it which is exactly what they did there's also the fact that uh, continuity errors and stuff i mean there's several points where where it raises its frill where you can actually see the wires they didn't they didn't take out the wires and if you watch there's a, a, a long list of continuity errors in jurassic park um and not just continuity errors but um things that um aren't done as well as they should be when nidri um, gets spat at in the face. If you watch closely, you actually see he's holding the venom in his hand, John. He's holding it in his hand and he slaps it in his own eyes. It's like, <laughs> yeah. And before that... Yeah, but, the, um, but that's how they do things in movie. I love that. I love the fact that they do that. You know, there's a bit in Gladiator, if you see this bit where that you can slow it down and you can see it's just the old sword under the under the arm trick <laughs> you know, and this is done when gladiator is like 2000 this is well into like proper cg time <laughs> there's a guy there's a guy in jeans in gladiator there's like a scene there's a, a uh, scene of a an arena and there's like you know a thousand different romany people all, all <laughs> standing about the place and there's some dude in a white t-shirt and jeans <laughs> in the top top of the scene and there's a bit when one of the chariots falls over and two big gas canisters fall out the back as well um yeah when when nidri's trying that nidri's pulling out the um winch on the front of the jeep okay watch what happens right he pulls out pulls out pulls out pulls out pulls out pulls out stops and then it's back to the start and he pulls out pulls out pulls out pulls out again so he just unwound it twice the bit when the tyrannosaurus smashes its head through the the glass bubble on the top of the jeep it breaks in half but then, when we see the children's point of view, when you see their hands and feet are on the glass there, luckily they're safe from the tyrannosaur. Yeah, because tyrannosaurs can't bite through glass, yeah? <laughs> Everyone knows they can. Well, <laughs> it's, it's not broken enough. Yeah, but that, that's that just non-linear editing, man. You know, you're, you're, you're shifting forward, back and forward in time a little bit. Non-linear yeah. editing. Alan Grant. Like I'm going to do with this podcast. Yeah, okay. That's a good good answer. Look at Alan Grant's boots when they're sat in the tree. 
just before the brachiosaur comes and has breakfast with them. Let's look at his boots. They're brand new, straight out of the shop. He's never been through any mud. He hasn't been climbing up trees or escaping from tyrannosaurs in squelchy Maybe mud. Maybe just ju- jump through a puddle. Um, <laughs> how many, how many of new. these things did you notice by yourself? Um, by myself, 30. 30? Seriously? Yeah, easily. Yeah, but then I have seen the film about <laughs> 300 times. How many, t- how many did you notice <clears throat> first time round? Um... Well, in, in absolute seriously, seriousness, many of them. This is some. This is something that I actually do quite a lot when I watch movies. Sort of, it's really easy to spot annoying continuity errors or or stupid things. So one of the stupidest things in Jurassic Park, and by now, of course, everybody knows this. It's common knowledge. But the so so the the, the jeep scene and the tyrannosaur, brilliant. Just love it. It's just brilliant stuff. The Tyrannosaur knocks over, turns the jeep upside down. That's that's awesome stuff. The tyrannosaur stands on top of the the jeep, is pushing the jeep down into the mud. Now I don't know what you call the bits of a car that go from the the kind of chassis where the doors are, the the bars that kind of go from the sh- the chassis where the doors are up to the roof in between the windows. At one point we see them like They're buckling the pillars, under the weight of the tyrannosaur. What pillars? pillars. Yeah. We see, we see them like buckling under the weight of the tyrannosaur. They're actually bending, and there's like the sound of squeaking metal. And then this is like the, one of the things I really don't like about Spielberg's way of making films is he puts in things because they like, like it's like a cool image, even though it doesn't make any sense. A classic example is the, the the idea that an animal like a tyrannosaur would actually make the ground shake with its steps. You know, that's just a ridiculous, a stupid idea. They never should have come with that. But when when you see that you see the metal like buckling under the weight of the tyrannosaur. And then, like the next scene, when Timmy is being potentially going to be drowned in liquid mud, the next scene they make a point of showing how these pillars are still stiff and straight and are being pushed vertically down into the mud. They, well, we just saw them buckle, and now, and now, and now they're not not buckling. Okay, so they get out of the car. No, no, Lex and Grant get out of the car, right? And they're down on their knees because they've just gone out of the. They've been trying to get Timmy out of the car, and now they're down on their knees, getting all muddy. The tyrannosaur comes back, they're not on their knees. Now they're crouching. The tyrannosaur comes up and it's, this is also a really cool idea. You know, I'm so glad they include this. This, the tyrannosaur does this big snort, big gust of, big gust of air. The gust of air doesn't come from its nose. It comes from bottom left-hand corner of the screen. It doesn't come from anywhere near the tyrannosaur's nose. Then the, okay, then the, 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 the whole thing with, Gennaro, the, the, the lawyer, in the toilet. Why is there an outside public toilet with visitor leaflets inside, clearly designed for visitors? Why is there a public lavatory in the park when people are not supposed to get out of their cars? So that's, yeah, come on. They didn't think of that. Okay, but the, the Well, if someone's really got to go, man. Someone's some, really, some, really yeah, got to go. Yeah. But the, 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 the greatest travesty of this entire scene <laughs> is how does the Tyrannosaur paddock scene start? There's a goat. Goat gets eaten. Tyrannosaur breaks out of paddock by stepping over wall, comes to Jeep, interacts with Jeep. For some reason, unknown to us, this only a Tyrannosaur will know this, it decides to push the Jeep over the wall. The same wall it just stepped over, except now, over that wall is like a hundred foot drop. 
And that is the same wall the Tyrannosaurus just stepped over. I mean, how do you explain that? You can't. Just like. <laughs> and yeah. It was I'll stop there. It was walking along a branch. We to saw step it. over the step over the wall. We see it. We clearly see it at ground level, stepping out of the. Uh... <clears throat> I'm liking this. This is this is. We finally found the the subject of our podcast. Right. So, what what other bits of Jurassic Park <laughs> particularly annoyed you? What other bits? Well, uh, well, any of the films, but let's stick with the first one for now because <laughs> I'm sure there's more stuff. Yeah, the others just. Oh my god, they're they're so bad. So um, so there's the fact that. So, so after having you know done all this stuff, that 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 scene with the tyrannosaur, that's epic stuff. That's like survival stuff. You're you're rolling around in the mud and climbing in leaf litter and everything, climbing up trees. There's you know Grant cleans his face in gushing water. You know they're they're filthy and muddy. Sat in a tree. Look at his boots, spotlessly clean. That really <laughs> did because how could like. I don't. I don't have an obsession with boots or muddiness. Okay, that would just be wrong. But <laughs> how can you make a film about people stomping around in the forests and jungles and going through all of this epic survival uh, scenario and not think? Hold on, wouldn't he like have mud on his boots? It's like no, nobody thought of that. Nobody even considered. Hold on, we we have a clear unobstructed view of the bottom of his feet and. Did we no? So when the when the brachiosaur comes up, <laughs> we see top left hand corner of the screen camouflage netting. Now, don't know about you, but if you're in a real forest, you look up into the canopy. There might be trees there. You did not see camouflage netting. Darren, that was an yeah. observation post. <laughs> it was in the park. It was an observation post. No, no. Yes, they're, they're meant to be in the middle of nowhere. They prove just me wrong. Climb a tree. Uh, no, no, it was one of the places that where they when they were originally setting up the park, you know, they were letting the baby brachiosaurs roam. Right. They would um they would sit up in that tree and observe them. You've just behind the up. camouflage netting. Well, it's not even in the tree, so it's oh, so, so wherever sorry, it is, wherever it is. Yeah, we 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 have the annoying fact. There's so you know TV tropes, the TV tropes website, which is mm -hmm. all about you know memes and tropes and so. Which incidentally, there's a tetrapod TV trope space. I don't know if I've ever mentioned that before, but there is TV. Tetsu has his own TV tropes page. Thank you, whoever set it up. Good job. Um, a TV trope, a, a, a trope in general that I find really annoying is the docile mega herbivore meme. The idea that, oh my God, this 10 ton animal is terrifying. Oh, don't worry, it eats plants. <laughs> We're fine. <laughs> it's like, that's not how the world works. That's just, well, you know, you're perfectly safe with a rhinoceros or an elephant. Everyone exactly, knows that. Exactly. Buffaloes, rhinos, big cows, elephants, all per hippos, all perfectly safe and friendly. You can go up to them and pat them and you'll be <laughs> so so they are ah, they're relieved to uh they're relieved that they're being woke they're woken from slumber by a gentle brachiosaur. And uh there's actually an article by Greg Paul where he mentions the possibility of omnivory in <laughs> in in sauropods and he says he actually says that the brachiosaur should have snuffed up those kids in one mouthful because uh, I'm I'm quite confident as Greg Paul often is I'm quite confident that they that they would have consumed small animals they encountered in <laughs> environments um, but they're, they're, then of course when it's chewing the leaves yeah. it moves its jaw from side to side yeah. as if it was a mammal which of course sauropods weren't mammals 
and uh, didn't chew that way. They, well, they didn't technically chew, did they? They may have done no, some. No, they had like Homer Simpson. Uh huh. No. Oh, bah, sne. Lenny and Carl are having a conversation, and and Carl says he eats like a pig. Uh, sorry, talking about Homer, and, he, and Carl says he eats like a pig. And I said, Lenny, Lenny says, I don't think so. I think he eats more like a duck. And he just, <laughs> he puts the, the um, Twinkie or whatever it is, is in his mouth and he just kind of swallows it like, ugh, ugh, ugh. <laughs> Gravity assisted. Yes. yes. All right. Okay, well. Well, um, yeah. Well, Brachiosaurus didn't eat like Homer Simpson and they didn't eat like cows either. Somewhere so, in between. Somewhere in between. Um, that's a that's a famous one though. I mean, I'm sure most of our audience knows about this. I think they're more interested in the minutiae that they've never noticed and has never mm. irritated them before than mm. will irritate them now. Yeah. Like, the, like the camouflage netting. Although, as I said, I've got a perfectly good explanation for that. Alan Grant's boots, camouflage netting. Um, the, 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 there's um in the visitor rotunda area in Jurassic Park. There's a skeleton of an Alamosaurus, a sauropod of some sort, Titanosaur, and a Tyrannosaurus. And um, we see that the the, the 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 people climb onto the skeleton, don't they, to uh, escape from the nefarious raptors? And um, and uh, the the skeleton ends up the wires come out the ceiling and it ends up crashing down to the floor. We actually see several segments of the skeleton fall to the floor more than once. We see um, we see the the major part of the neck fall to the floor at least twice. Um, the rib cage part of the, the rib cage, I think we see it fall on Lex. Um, but but then there's another part where it's like, yeah, it's not important. That's, that's not that's not that's not a big deal. But, this uh, is very very common in films, though, isn't it? Because they want these yeah. things which would be in the real world, absurdly quick, yeah. a couple of seconds and it's mm. over. Mm. They need it to be a scene that goes on and on and on. They yeah, have to yeah, yeah, yeah. repeat yeah. bits of yeah. it over and over yeah. again, like car chases when they're getting closer and then they cut <laughs> away. <laughs> My favourite homage to this idea is there's an episode of Family Guy where Stewie and Brian, they, they decide to do up their own house. And uh, and after and it basically it's, the house is a money pit and after like a month of work it's a complete wreck and so they decide to blow it up so they um Stewie turns on the gas and um um yeah he, he runs out they go run Brian run and then you see you see the house explode from like forty different angles and each time you see it you just see at the edge of frame the two of them jumping out the way each time. It's, <laughs> It's a classic. What was this? Uh, do you know the movie Scanners? No. Uh, it's it's about it's not about um, digital technology. It's about uh, people who have like a psychic ability to. Uh, it's something to do with psychic ability to like control other people by telekinesis by. And they're, and they're um, some of them become like killers, and they're able to like kill other people from distance, like, yeah, sort of Jedi kind of thing. And um, and there's there's a bit at the end where the main good guy kills the main bad guy, and when he blows him up, he makes him explode on stage again. That's done from like about thirty different angles. That's a good story. This is Ted Zoo, the podcast, isn't it? <laughs> what, what, what just happened? <laughs> no idea. We. Darren, we have, as we've been recording, got an email. 
no that way. is asking a question about Tetsu. You're joking. So it's quite long. Maybe I should forward this to you. Go on then. Do we have any other uh, visitor, uh, uh, listener qu uh, questions? We do not. It's just this one. So. Now you're supposed to say yes, many, but this is the only one that's. <laughs> oh yeah, thousands and thousands. Obviously, we should say that our question comes from Aaron Wells. Yes, sorry, question from Aaron Wells. Um, okay, it's actually a pretty simple idea which I can summarise. So it is: um, what natural environment could the xenomorphs in Alien evolve in? So we see them in interactions with humans, where they wipe out human populations very quickly, but. So if we ignore the idea that they were biologically engineered, yeah. how could such things evolve? I think this is one of the weaker points of Alien because... So yeah, if we disallow the notion that they were engineered, how could they evolve? And, and if they did evolve somewhere, how would they find using humans as their reproductive strategy? Presumably they didn't evolve with human populations to, to try this out on. Mm. I do think this is weak because you'd think there'd be some things in the human body that would be certainly suboptimal for growing your, I forget what part of the life cycle grew inside people, but presumably it needs certain chemistry to do so. Chest burster. Yeah, the chest burster. Yeah, well, obviously, but I didn't know whether, you know, nerds had a proper name for that. I wouldn't know. <laughs> oh, wouldn't you? <laughs> Sounds like exactly the sort of thing you'd know. <laughs> <laughs> so, but presumably they'd need certain chemistry to make that work. And what, they just come across humans and humans are fine? I I do think that's a bit weak. Yeah. Um, because anything that had that chemistry presumably would have been very vulnerable to them as well, you know. Um, although, to be honest, I'm not all that clear that the aliens are all that um powerful it's just in the environments of isolated human populations that act like idiots mm. they manage to wipe out people but what do you think well it's a creature that's obviously invented to be as scary as possible for no no no. we're talking in universe here yeah, don't, but... don't step out outside oh. of the universe well... come on well, it, well, it, well, Ridley Scott has said that part of the, according to him, although this doesn't really ring true because, of course, the idea of the alien comes from the novel written by the authors, the well-known author who wrote the book. <laughs> um, the, the, the idea is based on um, polymorphic parasitic wasps, the anatomy of which is different according to the biology of their hosts. So in the uh, an idea that's explored in some of the Dark Horse Aliens comics and also obviously in Alien Cubed, the crap film where on the planet of monks and everybody dies apart from Ripley, um, the idea there is it's not called Alien Cubed, it's just Alien 3 but with the 3 written in superscript. That's, that's um, Alien Cubed. Yeah. That's, thank you, yeah. The, the, the idea there is obviously that the biology of the, the actual morphology of the baby chest burst is determined by the biology of the host. So in, the, the idea is that the, the universe of xenomorphs is populated by humanoids and certainly mammal-like organisms and xenomorphs have co-evolved 
uh, with them, but we never really know from the backstory to, obviously this is like pre-Prometheus, Prometheus destroys all this, so forget about Prometheus. Um, the the in-universe pre-Prometheus xenomorph universe is meant to be populated by numerous organisms which are parasitized by xenomorphs. We never exactly, we never know exactly what their their home planet is. Um, to my to my knowledge, I'm sure someone will um yeah they're just uh, uh what was i saying <laughs> <laughs> um yeah okay so uh, but i don't think the, this, this, <laughs> yeah. the question what the question was um how they might like how they might like what evolve initially how they might evolve via natural selection well, there's, yes. well, there's not. There's clearly nothing wrong, and still be compatible with the things we see in the film, obviously. Well, the the, the bizarrely complicated uh, um, life cycle is really difficult to reconcile with anything that seems reasonable, given that there's like a specific life stage, the very a very vulnerable part of the cycle that exists only to die. It always seems stupid that you have the face hugger that and the anatomy of the face hugger was specifically the, I can't I can't talk about this though without thinking about the actual design of the movie creatures, which you know, you touch on this, but it's like that takes it away from thinking about things in universe. But the when Giga invented the look of xenomorphs and face huggers. You know, he had he, he designed things to make them look creepy to people. A lot of the kind of shapes and stuff that he's gone for, there's like phallic symbolism and all that sort of stuff in, in the creatures. So the idea of the face hugger is obviously to look like absolutely terrifying to a human. But it's like that you think of anything, what about things that don't have a humanoid face? What are things that don't have a face at all? You know, that's just not going to, that's not really going to work. Um, or, or you know, the the, the the face hugger attaches by like wrapping around with a prehensile muscular tail, but that requires you to have like a vulnerable neck that it can anchor to, and also that it can that it, that its tail is like long enough to wrap around. Well, if you're a totally different body shape, then that's a non-starter. So these things are only designed with reference to humanoids as as hosts. So I think you have to have that. As a as a kind of starting point, don't you? Because, um, well, I um, guess we're trying to um, uh, judge uh, what's underlying this question is the plausibility of these these aliens, mm. and unfortunately, I don't I don't think they are very plausible. Oh, I, I do I do love that it's such a complicated and alien sort of animal. I think it's one of the best aliens invented for films, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I do like the really complicated um, breeding cycle and stuff. I think that's all really neat. But I, mm. I don't. I think the details of it sort of fall down under scrutiny. I just don't see how they could have evolved on a different planet naturally and mm. and still be successfully reproducing in humans. Uh, as you point out, there's anatomical arguments against it too. Although perhaps it's I'm getting into speculative zoology here. Uh, maybe a um you know uh, a head like appendage with an orifice and some sort of neck for getting it round uh, uh maybe that's quite a common thing to have right 
as a digestive system you need you, jaws you expect, on yeah. jaws on the end of a of a longer thing to move it around more rapidly than the body so perhaps mm. perhaps that's not so outlandish mm. because just certainly expect things to yeah sorry yeah the um the mechanism of the jaw might be more complicated than the musculature of the neck for example and therefore end up a bit bigger so that the tail wrapping around and the orifice thing still works on on various mm. various animals animals mm. creatures have you ever seen the fabled crab walk scene from alien deleted crab walk scene yes yeah. which they deleted because it was so obviously a man in a suit that's right but but to me that's like one of the creepiest bits in the movie it's so weird i yeah. I, I i kind of like that about films when there's something that looks really ridiculous that it's a uh, um, because it's no more obviously a man in a suit than there's a couple of other scenes in Alien, the bit where Dallas is in the the tunnels and his light touches on goes on the alien on the xenomorph and it like immediately like reaches its arms out to him like mummy. It's like that's a real obvious yeah. person in a suit scene. And also the bit at the end where um where Ripley um blows it out of the uh, the air hatch and and it's like still what well, it's still attached by a cable or something. And it gets burned up in the uh, the jet um, in the the engines. Um, that that that's really bad. That's like so obviously like a little. They didn't really destroy a person in the sort of jet stuff, but um, but it looks really badly like a, like a, a person. Um, mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I I would minimise that. If I was making the film, I would minimise the number of scenes where it looks like a person in a suit. But the, the crab walk scene, they actually start off by when... I've forgotten the name of the female character in that scene. But um, when she first realises she's looking at the alien, the idea is that she doesn't know what she's looking at because it's sat kind of with its butt on the floor and its limbs folded up. So with the giant shiny head, it looks just kind of like an egg shape. Uh, it's, you, you sort of don't realise. I think I think the idea that they were going for there was that you don't really realise um, what what the thing is until it actually like looks at her and then does this. Why, why have it do a crab walk? I mean, what a really strange thing to to think of. I think they're meant to be. You know, they're in the film. It looks like they've got all sorts of weird ways of locomoting. Right? They seem to be oddly flexible animals. I don't. I don't know whether if you go through scene by scene they are, but that's the impression you get from Alien and Aliens, is that they move in bizarre ways. In Aliens, well, in Aliens, we see them doing stuff like climbing upside down above the suspended ceiling and also stuff where they seem to... The bit when they're grabbing space marines what by launching out of the, um, the walls, it seems, it seems as if they're like plugged into the walls by their tail and they just hang hang out which of course is completely impossible given how flimsy the, the tail looks but um yeah well, yeah, we, I, we, uh, yeah except we don't know the internal anatomy they could have lots of air sacs hmm. they might be yeah. much lighter than they look well yeah but we do know that and we know the answer is that they don't because the uh what, from more the, of your nerd books it's not in the freaking films yeah. The the anatomy of xenomorphs has been extensively documented in the literature. I assure you, the uh, and, and the made-up literature. Yeah, only, only, the, only the films uh, count. 
Yeah, people people make up this stuff. So there's like a whole in in the, the books and comics. There's loads of stuff about the biology of xenomorphs. And one of the kind of big ideas about it is that one of the big ideas of xenomorphs explored in the comics is that they are batteries. That they um that they're the reason they've got acidic blood. Um, xenomorphs don't eat because they are living batteries. And then of course, Alien Cubed, we actually see we actually specifically see uh, the the dog like xenomorph eating stuff. So it's like, well, oh, okay, there goes that idea. Another one is that they're meant to be completely blind, and that everything they do is through other sensory functions. Uh, but then um, Alien Cubed again, we see it running around upside down on the walls and stuff, and we see its point of view, and it's very clearly is meant to be uh, capable of sight. So um, yes, I think people are coming up with. Uh, I you like this stuff? I don't. I think it's what um, stuff? all the periphery stuff to things like a film. And then someone goes and makes incredibly complicated stories about their biology and stuff. I think this makes for good podcasting. And I think it makes good for good, um, you know, general chit chat. But as a formalized, put it down in a book and like write about it and think about it seriously. Uh, well, so and take it as part of the lore of the thing. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's all it's, a bit silly. If, but if it's canon, it's canon, John. The, the only like, thing that is canon is the films. That's not true. If we're talking about the film Alien, yeah, it is. I don't accept all this other stuff. Mm. If you want to talk about the book, yeah, okay, fine. The original book. You can't but all this stuff that gets choose. built on stuff. Yes, you can. <laughs> absolutely you can that's what i'm saying you can definitely exclude everything peripheral to the films if we're talking about the films anything that's not in the films is up for grabs because someone made it up after the fact it's just stupid mm. we may as well make it up as we are doing right we, now we and we do. will do and we will do next podcast for um the thing um <clears throat> Aliens is one of my favourite films. It's just awesome. It's so cool. Yeah, I I agree. As I say, I, I do think it's one of the best um, aliens ever invented for films. Along yeah. with The Thing, which was also really good. Yeah. Um, I mean, what was the other, what was the most? I suppose Avatar is the one that's made the most serious effort recently, hasn't it? Mm. And and many ways, some I, awesome creatures in it, but some lame creatures too. Yeah, and they're all a bit too close to what we know, aren't they? Yeah. You know, they're sort of a bit like what we have, but with a twist. Oh, space horses and space, space horses, foxes. Yeah. <laughs> blue space space, space Native Americans. Blue, blue, blue meow meow people. Yeah. As they're technically known these days. And luck um, dragons. You know, from... The never-ending story. Oh yeah, that giant dog thing. I'm a luck dragon. <laughs> Great Leonopteryx. I thought that was a pretty cool beast. Yes. Oh, it has some cool beasts in it, no doubt. But um, yeah, I, I don't think the aliens were quite. Uh, they weren't up to the same sort of level as the horror aliens in Alien and um the thing. No, no. But this is something that we've discussed before. The fact that you know we are not key demo. That they they don't want people that make these movies uh, can't be too alien and daring in what they portray because people don't want that. People want to see 
space Pocahontas, <laughs> which, which is what they got with uh, with um, Avatar, and and you know that there's going to be they've got the green light for the next two movies or something. So what are they going to? Explore? Everything's a trilogy now, isn't it? Everything's oh, got to be I, a goddamn I, trilogy with with three prequels. Yeah, <laughs> prequels. <laughs> ah, the curse of the prequels. Uh, an um, Avatar prequel would be would be interesting because now one of the things that, that you know we need to know what what are they going to explore with the Avatar sequels is are they going to explain anything about the uh, the, um, the 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 structure of the Pandoran ecosystem? Did we did we cover this before in a previous? No, cast? no, I don't think no. we talked about Avatar. Well, I'll, I'll touch on it now because might forget it later. But there's there's you think about. First of all, we've only seen the schnizzle on one Pandoran continent, and it's a big planet with like several, <laughs> several land masses. Schnizzle. <laughs> Keep them. drink more, drink more brandy. For um, rizzle, man. For rizzle. <laughs> uh, unlike the real world, all organisms, or all organisms that are similar in size to the humanoids, on pandora are plug and play they've got usb ports and plug them in you go the atmosphere is highly toxic and uh, is composed of like a bunch of gases that sound i seem to remember that for, i don't know why but they seem to sound like sort of industrial chemicals that's because um, if you talk say things in chemical formulas they all sound like industrial chemicals <laughs> hydrogen monoxide being the most famous example <laughs> h2o um the humanoids do not have good night vision but they don't have to worry about that because everything glows in the dark so there's like you, you don't need to you don't need lighting because everything's been it's almost as if everything's been perfectly designed for those for those humanoids so um not an original idea certainly not my idea yeah i've quite heard of from quite a few sources but um but yeah maybe maybe i bet they won't because this is an interesting idea that i would like them to explore but they won't explore this but maybe one idea is that um the navi were basically in um you know an industrialized people deep doo-doo um ran out of resources and stuff and the only way that they could survive was by modifying themselves and their world to uh, to like live uh, uh an uh, um uh what you call it you know like a, a a forest people lifestyle hippies basically yeah yeah, yeah. blue forest hippies <laughs> went back to nature man back to nature um yeah no they, well they might do that but it'll be stupid i guarantee it'll be stupid whatever yeah. explanation they come up with it'll be gone <laughs> as someone said in yeah there's a Ted Ted Zoo article on the creatures of Avatar. <laughs> someone said, <laughs> one of the best Tezu comments ever. Someone, someone said, "I'm not, I'm not dissing this guy. It was a perfectly intelligent comment." He said, "Oh yeah, I'm writing, I'm writing a story for a sequel for, for Avatar. We have vampires!" <laughs> Exclamation mark. Like, <laughs> like, good work. <clears throat> That's what it needed. <laughs> <laughs> What they should do, right, is they should get bring in Doctor Who, mm. who goes picks up Sherlock Holmes. He meets the Doctor. Yeah, the, yeah, the Doctor. It picks up Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. They they go in the TARDIS to <laughs> Avatar. 
the, to the planet. Pandora. To Pandora. The film's called Avatar, you idiot. <laughs> Same thing. And they make out. <laughs> I think this would be the most successful film on the internet ever. <laughs> on the internet, I'm sure. You know how many reblogs that would get on Tumblr? Mm. About six and a half trillion is what I'm oh. guessing. <laughs> you should make that movie. Look, I've written to them. I've written to them. <laughs> you know, I don't think I've Which got the emails right because they haven't they haven't responded. Right. Which doctor? Oh well, you know, to be safe, I think you'd want to straddle a couple of <laughs> couple of doctors. <laughs> So we've done an entire movie podcast now, haven't we? That's pretty bad. Oh, well. Um, so what? Yeah, let's stop it. Oh, wait, let's do Let's wrap it up. Let's do some wrap up. Let's stuff. wrap it up. Oh, we had another donation, which is nice. Oh, that's good. Uh, Thank I haven't you got to whoever that yeah, was. I haven't got permission to say who it was yet. So oh, weird. I won't. Well, I didn't ask, but I might. Um, and oh, we tell people where to go for you. Yeah. Tetrod Zoology, the blog currently hosted at Scientific American. Um, I tweet at at Tetzu. At at Tetzu. At at Tetzu. There is a uh, one of the best scenes of any movies. Empire Strikes Back, of course. Um, <laughs> at at. Yeah. yeah. Oh dear. Oh, there's That's a, a, a Tetrod Zoology. Yeah, Zoology. They said it last time. I don't know, we say it every single time. There's Tetrod Zoology Facebook page. Where do people find you on the internet? On internet, they go to johnconway.co, where they find links to my impossibly named Twitter and Facebook. Um, right. And they should buy a book called All Yesterdays on Amazon, uh, because it's good, right? It's it's continued to receive outstandingly, um, yeah, interesting and and really good reviews. Um, Dave Hone's review in the Guardian, I thought was really good, really well done. Yeah, and John a long in-depth review. Yeah, yeah. Hutchinson's review was good too. Hutchinson's yeah. review at What's in John's Freezer was uh, very uh, enjoyable. And, and there is a donate button on on the website at tetzu.com. And we're really happy when people are when people donate because you don't have to donate very much to make this podcast not cost us money, which is very nice. I think that's it. That's what I'm we normally do, isn't it? I've been drawing a little furry tyrannosaur. Do you like it? See, but, um, this isn't a this isn't a video podcast, Darren. I know. Well, I'm showing you, <laughs> not the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't even look that furry. Hey, if hey, f- <laughs> off. <laughs> Sorry.